Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. You better wake up. The world you live in is just a sugar-coated topic. There is another world beneath it. The real world. For thousands of years, they have existed among us. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. Chances are you've seen them yourself and didn't know it. A secret nation. Our livelihood depends on our ability to blend in. With a lust for power. We should be ruling the humans. These people are our food. They've got their claws into everything. Politics, finance, real estate. There's a war going on out there. He makes the weapons. I use them. Now, one will lead them to conquer mankind. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. We're going to be gods. And one will try to stop him dead. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. Half human. Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant. Half immortal. You got the best of both worlds. All our strengths. None of our weaknesses. He is their greatest fear and our only hope. It's open season on all vampires. Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff. You're one of them, aren't you? No, I'm something else. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the rigmarole of today's episode of Blade from 1998, the movie that kick-started the Marvel movie revolution. And we didn't know it. Well, before we get into all that, guess what, folks? You can be able to find us on a wide variety of social media platforms. Pretty big. And on the first one, go to Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. And give us a like on there. Give us a follow on the Twitter machine at The Marvelists. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. And if you're a bird, tweet at Eddie. Literally, just fly by and tweet. Like Tweety Bird. Tweedly deedly 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 Good for you, Rock and Robin. I, I did it really slow. I, cu- I couldn't do it properly. I just... No, you you would have been a mess at the beginning of the podcast. The the tweets quote themselves. Tweeted. That past too. tense. Well, they quote. Murder, she quote. I taught, okay. I taught. But you can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelists and myself at Peter Melnick and yourself. Eddie9193. I mean, that's a pretty long number, Eddie. I mean, there's like 9,000 numbers in there. Five letters, four numbers, done. Nine characters. There you go. That, that, those characters could write a book or be a part of a book. Maybe. 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 Also, drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelous at gmail.com. And questions, comments, strongly worded letters, you send them our way. We're going to be like, you know, Eddie, Eddie, we, we got to read these. We have to answer them. Yes, we do. Got to put your war face on. Why? I don't know. Can't see it. That's true. It's... Well, I mean, you can take a photo and attach it. We could go with that. Okay. Maybe. I don't More know. face question mark. A very a very bold question mark. Okay. Literally bolded and italicized. Because it's got that little slant to it. Anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Enough, enough verbal diarrhea. People, also you can listen to the show on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And speaking of Stitcher Radio... 
Go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelous. And when you do, you end up getting a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And you'll be able to listen to a variety of content, including the Smodcast archives, the WTF archives, the Earwolf archives, the Weird Al Yankovic concert archives from the most recent tour of his, as well as Wolverine The Long Night. So once again, use that promo code at checkout. Marvelous. When you go to Stitcher.com slash premium and you'll get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And if you want to stay on afterwards, it is only $4.99 a month, but you can cancel at any time before the month is over. So, Stitcher.com slash premium, promo code, marvelous. There we go. So now, Eddie, Mm. today's episode, we're going to be talking about Blade. But before we do that, what I want to talk to all of you about is a fan theory going on right now with Avengers 4. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read it to you. It was posted over on Reddit. And the theory, the theory is something that I got to tell you kind of got me upset in a way because I'm realizing, crap, that could very well happen. This is going to be new to me too, so here we go. So I'm going to read it to you. It was posted over on Reddit's Marvel Studios Reddit.com slash r slash Marvel Studios, one whole word. I've been thinking about this for a while, and it seems odd to add the gauntlet causing so much damage to the side of Thanos' body when using all six stones together. There's no indication before that moment that the gauntlet causes harm to its user. And in the comics, that's not even the case either. So why do it? The simplest explanation I can come up with is to explain why Cap dies when he uses it in Avengers Infinity War Part 2 or Avengers 4, whatever we're calling it. That's my interdiction. My prediction is that sometime during the climax of the battle with Thanos, they will get the gauntlet off of him, but there will be almost nobody left to use it. Tony will attempt to do so, but Thanos will end up breaking his left arm, preventing him from doing it. That will leave Cap as the only person left in a position to do so, and when he uses the gauntlet to reverse the snap, it will kill him instead. The reason they showed the gauntlet hurting Thanos is so it makes more sense when it straight up disintegrates Cap. Sad face. And that's what Reddit user Crossflyer said. Uh, you know what? It makes sense. Well, to reverse, I don't know what's involved in that process. How do you unsnap? Do you change the positions of the stones? Do you put it on the palm side of the hand? What do you do? Jumble them all up together and throw them like dice? How do you reverse this snap? I'm I mean, lost right here. You put the gauntlet on. And the you, same direction, same, same hand, same thing, and you just go. I wish, I wish, I wish. No, you click your heels together too. Maybe, and then you like dance around in a circle. There's no place like home. You do the hokey pokey. You turn yourself around. That's what hey. it's all about. Yeah, that is what it's all about. Ugh. Where it's at? Two turntables and a microphone. I, yeah, I know that. I'm a DJ. Come on. You are. <laughs> but when I hear that, that is really going to be heartbreaking because well, the part right there was that. Is Cap dies. That's the heartbreaking part right there. Yeah. And the idea of him getting disintegrated. Well, that's the dying part. Yes. Okay. I mean, the man, you know, Captain America. color is fine, but you have to die that. Captain America is over 100 years old. The man can't even play Legos anymore because if you notice on the box, it says, I believe, 3 to 99. On what box? On the Lego boxes. The Lego boxes. So he can't even play with Legos anymore. Because he's over that age. Oh, please. Poor Cap. I have not looked at a Lego and then he's gonna box. Get, and then he's going to get disintegrated. Lego my ego. Jeez. But yeah, I I feel that if that is the case, oh boy. Big time. Big old boy. Big boy. Oh. I, I, I don't want to see. How do you unsnap? I'm, I'm just stuck right there. Well, whoever holds it can reverse anything that happened. You can reverse. You can go forward. Good. You then you don't have to put it on. Do. You can just hold it in your two hands. Let's say because it's a well, you gotta big. You got to put point. it on. You got to put it on. Yeah. You got to bang a gong. Get it on your hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. And they're also saying that Vormir from the movie Avengers Infinity War. It's actually been shown in other Marvel movies in the past, and it was just finally revealed in this one. Like, full reveal. What I mean when I say that is, you see Vormir in Thor and Thor Ragnarok in the sky. Oh, boy. 
And again, this is this is the long, long, long buildup for all this stuff that makes yeah. Marvel insane. Mm-hmm. Or how there is, you know, little elements like in Iron Man Two when you see that little kid wearing the the the, the helmet, Iron Man the Iron Man mask, yeah, yeah, and that's supposed to be Peter Parker, which you don't know at the time, and no one knew at the no. time, right? But there's both the little, oh yeah, we totally did that on purpose, and then the whole, yeah, you guys didn't notice that yeah. that was there this whole time, yeah. Okay. And with things that are there the whole time, you know, you have Easter eggs in some of the movies. James Gunn has openly said there's so many Easter eggs still not discovered in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. And that movie came out in 2014. <laughs> and I'm wondering whenever he, you know, gets off of his social media sabbatical because of everything that had happened this yeah. past year. Which, by the way, we never released our... Uh, I actually cut those parts out of some of the episodes where we talked about it because... It was already too late yeah, in terms time, of release. Time, as always, is the enemy. I'll just say this: the whole like no one, I guess, has heard my thoughts on it. But I think the whole situation sucked. Yeah. As a diehard Guardians fan, as someone with a Star Lord tattoo, it sucks. Yep, it sucks. So now you all know how I feel about not the James Gunn thing. Not good publicity. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, or PR for that matter. Do I agree with the things the man did and or the things the man wrote? No, there is no time and place for it. But what's done is done, and the man learned his lesson. And hope. exactly, so now it comes back. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, I I just wondered down the line, will James ever reveal what those Easter eggs were? I want to know. Uh, yeah, that would be a good thing. Because by now you have to. Because he has no ties to Marvel. Why not go for it? People will go back and do a rewatch. That's what I thought when you first said that. But it'd be nice to know what to look for and then see him and go, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, even multiple times. The problem is if you say something like, oh, you should look for this, it might give way too much away then. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I'm thinking, yeah, so what? It gives away. It, I think it helps you understand more of what's in the movie. Right. From now four years ago. And it's all going to make better sense. As to why it was in there and what it leads to or came from and brought you to that point, whatever the case may be. So let's let's go. Crack those eggs. Let's go. Let's get cracking. And speaking of cracking eggs, let's get into our main topic at hand for this episode. It's sharp. And it's a very bloody it's point thing. thing. Yep, it is. In 1998, the comic book film industry was recovering from 1997's Batman, Nipples, and Robin. And by the way, man, back in 1997, people were concerned about Batman's nipples. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. In 2018, they're concerned about a completely different body part of his. <laughs> and yeah, well, that could be a 20-year ob- obsession, so you got to shift it up a bit. I suppose. Well, they got shifted down, if anything. Up, now. down, okay. Depending on if you're standing on your head. To the right, maybe. You never know. <sighs> Just slightly to the right. Jim Carrey said it best in... In Liar Liar. Short, shriveled, and always to the left. Mm. Batsy was to the right. On your left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. Right. Well, anyway. Back to Cap we go. Back to Blade we go. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. in 1998, like I said, they were recovering from that, and David S. Goyer had written a movie alongside the directing of Stephen Norrington, And New Line Cinemas released Blade. And for many people, no one realized Blade was a comic book character. Oh, and I was watching it myself. Same thing. And this is a first watch for me, most recently, start to finish. This was actually a movie that was in development since 1992. And the rapper LL Cool J, you know, who's hard as hell, battle anybody. He don't care if you tell. He excel. Rock the bells. That's all you. I know nothing about that. Whatever. <laughs> but LL Cool J was supposed to play the lead role, and they ended up not doing it. But David S. Goyer ended up writing the script and gave it over to Wesley Snipes in 1996. He was attached to star in the role, and then production started in 1997. The movie comes out, and we end up basically getting a character that, in my opinion, is the last thing I expected to kickstart a revolution on film. 
when you think of these, when you think of DC, who was the one that kickstarted their film revolution? Well, Superman. Yeah. Yep. So for Marvel, Marvel's first movie they ever did, though, was Howard Thuduk. And to go from Howard to Blade with a really crappy Captain America with an Italian red skull in between, it's very... <laughs> just, 180. Yeah. Although I understand the idea of going with Blade, do you think going with the character was the right decision or they could have done something different? I think going in the complete polar opposite of what they tried was probably a good move. But... Why do you say that? I th- they wanted to distance themselves from it being... Maybe like people would think, oh, it's it's kid stuff. I, you're not going to pay too much serious attention to it. You, it won't be taken seriously. Well, people can relate to hearing and having seen stories about vampires. Right. So there's a hook right there. That's a built-in audience, most likely. And having seen, as I was watching this thing, I can see, or I would not have thought if nobody didn't tell me, anybody didn't tell me, that this was based on a comic book. Why do you think that was the case of not revealing that this was a quote-unquote comic book movie? Well, you didn't have much before this time. And again, are people going to take this seriously and come out in droves to see it? Especially the aftermath of Batman and Robin. Not likely. So, distance yourself sort of from it. Don't put the name of the company in the forefront of it. Put out your movie. It's about vampires. And let's see what happens. So there's a gamble. There's a risk in there, sure. But not as much, hopefully, as if it's branded as it's a comic book movie. Yeah. It's only going to appeal to a certain age group, age range. Adrian. Yo. (laughs) I did it. I just don't know if going in the direction that they had gone in was right. Because I do feel, hey, take a chance, say that it's a comic book movie, but go with maybe the advertising campaign of this isn't your typical comic book movie. Maybe. Something to that effect. Maybe, but that could be done more so nowadays and not face maybe as much of a risk. I would say so, yeah, especially with movies like Logan, Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. Kingsman even. Kingsman people don't even realize is based on a comic book. Mark Millar's Secret Service oh, series. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, look, this is 20 years ago. We're talking about this movie now. This is actually the 20th anniversary of this film. And mm-hmm. watching this movie, the special effects, some are cool, some of the practical effects, and then you see some of the CGI and you're just like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see the flying toasters in a minute. Just <laughs> one second. Well, that would be a first for me to see flying toasters. These special effects were a bit different. Um, I don't know if they were more advanced or not as, I'm going to say, fake as in previous because the technology wasn't there. But they came across as somewhat different and made me look a little bit harder at them. Um, Yes, excessive on the blood, for sure. No question, hands down. In the interest of fairness, Eddie, this is a vampire movie. Yes, I think when you have a vampire movie, blood is a necessity. Blood is a part of catering. <laughs> so, I I wouldn't say that's much of a uh, complaint. No. You know? Would you say, going in the direction that they went in for the dark tone, that was appropriate? Yeah, no question. Why do you say so? Well, it's it's about their life, and it's... It's going to be in a dark setting. What I did kind of get a little surprised about, and maybe they didn't have to go into much backstory of the main character, you already have him established doing his vampire hunting and having to take serum, inject himself, so that you and you find out that, oh, he's been affected. And you find out that from 1967, when he was born, his pregnant mother had been bitten. And she died, so we think. And he's already got he's already got a problem that he has to keep under control. 
He's addicted to love. He's uh, he's building up, uh, might as well face it, building up resistance to the serum. What? You went to the Robert Palmer vein, so there we go. I appreciated how quickly you went back to it, though. That was great. Uh, you know. It's a good, a good all-girl band in that video. Videos. They all look the same. And when we sort see of. the opening scene of the bloodbath rave... That is every single person who downloaded LimeWire and wanted techno music and clicked techno music download. That was usually what you end up finding. <laughs> that and Darude Sandstorm. So Sandstorm, that was the song I was thinking of earlier before we went on, yeah. Just the fact that that's in there. I just feel that opening scene, we're going for something that you... This it's not it's not just the cliche. This ain't your mama's comic book movie. This ain't your daddy's comic book movie. It's just something completely different, and from going what we were accustomed to, it's a bold move. Although I would say this is like for a comic book movie, this is different. This is completely different. But in terms of what we're seeing in 1998 on film, this is par for the course. This is average. I got nothing to compare it to, so it, it was different for me to see the actual blood bath coming out of the Warner Sprinklers. But hey, that was part of the uh, the rave. And then we get the big reveal of Blade, and Blade played by Wesley Snipes, a man who over the past few years has supposedly been in negotiations to reprise the role for Marvel. <laughs> is there another character who you associate with an actor much like this one. I went a little dyslexic, but here we are. Mm, here we are indeed. No, I don't think I do. Because we he's on par with the whole, you have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Wesley Snipes as Blade. And ironically, they're all the same company. <laughs> okay, yeah. We first meet him as the Daywalker. I think that's how he's addressed. Yeah, because he's part human, part vampire. And he can be out in the daytime, in the light. And not go poof. The magic dragon? That's puff. That's true. Poof is something else. And, yeah, just the overall dark look to this movie. Would you have done this any other way as well? Like the very... uh, it's almost desaturated in many parts. The only real color you see, for example, is blood. For the most part, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Doesn't strike out blatantly, obviously. Oh, man, this is in black and white. No, but it's just that's the way it seems to come across. I think it's kind of funny that that's happening in this movie, and it involves David S. Goyer, who would go on to be involved with movies like Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, among many others, in the DC line of films. And this is something they've replicated in their movies quite a bit. Mm-hmm. The very intense seriousness of it. And I don't think it works for everything. Certain Marvel movies, they have this very desaturated, flat look. And it works for what they're going for in that movie. You can't do it with Superman. You just can't. The big blue boy scout, no. No, 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 no. There's some humor that's injected throughout parts of the film. I mean, in the beginning when, and the character that we see and we've seen later of Donald Logue, who was in Ghost Rider with your favorite and mine, Nicolas Cage. As well as Gotham. The DC show, pre-Batman, um, goes up in flames as uh, Blade lights him up. And when, and when I don't know, the fire company or somebody, police come in, whatever, they, they, they just say, put him out, which actually later leads to him coming back. But the police are after Blade also, not knowing maybe who he is or what he's doing. Um, the, the, um, the lady doctor, Karen, I believe, the funny thing I thought was funny was that he's being shot at with the doctor in his arms. He's carrying her, but they're still shooting at him. And it's like, what, they're they're sharpshooters? They're going to hit him and not her? So a little disbelieving, if you will, 
as far as that little scene goes. And I think what came uh, back around was her dislocated shoulder that Blade forced back into place later in the movie. The same thing would happen to Blade, and she pops it back in. Yeah. So I don't know. What goes around comes around. A little thing like that. I think right after that is where we meet Whistler, Abraham Whistler. Chris Christopherson, yeah. Long-time actor. As long as his hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he he did a really good job in that role. The Blade movies actually have a very uh, unusual connection with, of all things, pro wrestling. Because not just the fact that in Blade 3, he goes on to star alongside the game Triple H. Chris's son, Jody, actually would go on to work for WWE as a professional wrestler. So Ah. the Christophersons are worldwide. I mean, Jody got fired by WWE, but still, regardless. That's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, so, yeah, just unintentional or not, there's a connection, right? And just to see this character of Whistler, was Whistler ever a Marvel character, like, in the comics? I don't know. It's not ringing a bell. What I don't know that we found out about was, he may have said it in his own story a little later in the movie, but how he got to get this leg injury that's been sort of in a cast or a brace of some sort that well, he carries, that he does carry through with and you don't necessarily realize it right away or figure, wait, he's still alive in Blade 2. Believe it or not, he's actually a character that or that originated on Spider-Man the Animated Series in 1995. Oh, jeez, okay. He didn't originate in the comic. His first comic book appearance, though, was Blade 2, the comic book adaptation. <laughs> So they brought a character from a cartoon and threw him on there. And that's actually a really interesting tidbit. I never knew that. Well, wait, that makes me think of another tidbit. Was there, first of all, a Blade comic book adaptation? And if so, was Whistler not in it? And, yeah, just the fact that Blade originated in horror comics especially is... That would be normal. I don't know where. Like I was a natural going with that. thing. I don't, I don't know where. I was Blade going. horror comics. There's a parallel. And while Whistler originated in the animated series of Spider-Man, Blade, of course, got his origin in the comic books, mm-hmm. and I believe just alongside Dracula. And if you're going to debut in a comic, I think that's a character you want to debut alongside to further hammer through the chest with a stake. Your point. <laughs> with a stake, yes. Um, Hammer, good, like the Hammer horror films. Tomb of Dracula, number 10, Blade. You First know that years. offhand? Oh, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. That's, that could be research also, but that was a... No, that's a, offhand. You, that was a known fact. Now, having collected that run and missing that original issue, plus the number one Tomb of Dracula issue, which ran for 70 or 71 issues... Uh, that was the first appearance of Blade, yeah. Do you own that issue, number 10? I think a pretty beat-up copy, actually. Yeah, I do. I'll have, to, I'll have to go digging for it and put it put it up with uh, and p- even, the pictures that will accompany this podcast. On eBay, it actually goes for a poor-condition copy, $179. Yikes. Poor condition. Well, mine's in mi- mid... Well, maybe... A little bit below mid-range. There's a CGC-graded copy at 9.2 white pages Yikes. for 1,399. White pages? Mm-hmm. So what, they, it's not they colored in? Yeah, they haven't yellowed. Oh, oh, I see. Yeesh. So it looks still like it was just off the shelf. But if it's CGC-graded, it's sealed. It's not going anywhere. Correct. You can't read it, in other words. <laughs> that's That's the breaks, I guess. There's the rub. But they're actually selling the entire run of Tomb of Dracula, all 70 issues, for $850. Oh, what a bargain. That, some of that stuff, that's not a bad deal, considering those books do go for a lot. And some will opt to just get the soft cover paperback bound volumes, volume one and two, and the essential Tomb of Dracula. Like me. And read it, although it'll be in black and white. Those, I believe, are not colored, are, ink, are not inked in. 
Yeah, but something like that, I think you would want to read a Dracula comic in black and white. Yes, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Just like um, going off the off the trail here, um, the track um, Vampirella. I would not have a problem with that because I think that's how it started in magazine form in black and white. They, they put the color later, but yeah, that would be fine. So now going back over to the movie. Deacon Frost, a disgrace to the vampire nation. Because he's not a pure blood. Deacon Blue is one of the most... Sorry, I wanted to see your reaction to that. Deacon Frost is one of those characters that has just a complete assholery to him. And you watch how he acts around other characters. Just a vicious bastard. And yeah, I, so you, you immediately develop a dislike for him, which yeah. is most likely intentional. And it's smart. Yeah. It's absolutely smart, and they, I would say, Dorf was a great choice of an actor for this role. Just a pretty boy douche. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, not so much, and not so colorful language, but yeah, I would agree. Well, pastels we could go with? I suppose. It's usually in the springtime with the pastels. The other Easter. And seeing him in this movie, yeah, just such a dick. Such a dick. Well, kind of developing the story along uh, Blade seeing a a shop store owner, and uh, it looks like he was giving in a bunch of uh, expensive watches to trade in for the garlic injections that he needs to build up his resistance to the... uh, the serum he's been taking it for who knows how long but it's like he needs a stronger dose every time to keep this thirst away uh because the good thing is he does have the the vampiric tendencies that is the strength the stamina resilience um but none of their weaknesses meaning not susceptible to garlic or silver and daylight but he does have this thirst that if it's not kept in check will progress or turn him toward the vampiric side. He also, and you do see the makings of the canines turning into vampire teeth. But again, getting 50 cc's and milligrams of the uh, injection does kind of stave stave that off. Likewise, how, how, how many times have you said, you know, I only wish that if I was walking at night, I had a little vial of vampire mace. That's available in this movie, as the doctor has for her disposal. And when she uses that at the first moment she uses it, I thought it was just like straight up regular mace. And no. Yeah, no, the the cop at the apartment there, a, a familiar, so to speak, a vampire wannabe. And I mean, he's got who, the mark on the back of his neck. Who doesn't want to be a vampire? I, you know, Hot I don't Topic employees. Oh, wait, no. Live forever. I don't know. You see more of that too later in the, I'm calling it the Frost Party, where you enter through the refrigerator and go through and into, into that stuff. Um, and then what's also kind of neat is, you know, maybe the technology was there in that time, 1998, when the movie was made, that you have a, a Blade and Frost encounter via laptop. Right. They, they meet each other in that way for the first time. But but really, the first, I think, besides the excessive blood that's, that's going on leading up to this and later, is uh, this character named Pearl. That's so ob- obnoxiously huge mass of, I mean, makes Jabba the Hutt look thin kind yeah. of thing. Um, and how he gets his UV tan, as I'm calling it. And, and when you see that character, I have to ask, do you feel going with practical effects for that character benefited or was a p- bit of a, uh, made it look a little hokey? I feel like practical was good. It was a solid choice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you're introduced to this, and you're, you're kind of thinking, how can this be that what I'm seeing here is happening? But uh, you know, it it sinks in, I think, in your conscience, and you say, okay, let's let's go with this and see where where it takes us. Not too far because he gets burnt, and or oh yeah, blows up. <laughs> Kablooey. Kablooey is yeah, exactly. And we find out about the uh, the prophecy, the symbols, the coming of the blood god. And a fight that happens between Blade, I think, and Quinn, the uh, the Donald Logue character. A train fight, which reminds me of Spider-Man versus Sandman in a, in a bit. 
Why do you say that? Because because Blade is holding Quinn's head against the passing train. That's true. And in all honesty, I thought that you would see more of his face just completely get destroyed in that moment. Uh, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. But I would say the reason that didn't happen was because obviously the technical limitations at the time, 1998, mm-hmm. you really can't do a lot. Yeah. And even then, I would factor in the MPAA. Do you really want to go with an NC-17 rating for your new movie that's trying to be this big comic book movie? Right, right. You have to draw the line. The excessive blood is, is getting its own criticism or you know observation and calculation, designation, whatever the word is. But yeah, Sweeping would, the nation. <laughs> coast to coast. I ain't just talking Jersey. You're not just talking Art Bell. Okay. Now, the idea as well, by the way, how would you say the movie went in the direction of the violence? Do you feel in some ways they went a little too far or it made sense for what they're going for? I think overall it made sense. I kind of... I'm not sure how I felt in respect to the length of the movie, which I think clocked in at two hours. It did. Exactly two hours, and, actually. Yeah. Granted, when I'm watching these movies, I'm pausing a lot of times to take a little note here and there and not miss when I'm taking a note, whatever the next scene was. So for me, it just takes longer. But I don't know that it necessarily dragged out. Maybe I was just interested in knowing, all right, what's going to happen next? Where is this taking us? So I didn't think it was really too dragged out. In that Essentially, sense. where do we go from here? Right, right. Now it that all the children like are growing up. Things <laughs> things that were happening, it's like, all right, now where where does it go from here? How's now it that pro- all of the children are growing up? I'm, I'm a broken record, Eddie. You're, you're, yeah. I thought a broken record stops. They don't usually. It's to skip, maybe. Skip to Malou. My darling. You keep that to yourself. Okay. And we get the the uh, aforementioned uh, Blade origin and uh, Whistler's own story at at about this point in time, and the character of Dragon Eddie, who uh, meets the Sunrise. And so what was it, it like when you met the Sunrise, Eddie? It ain't pretty. It it's, it's, it was obliterated. It totally bore his eyes out, and everything else. Uh, those are kind of interesting and pretty cool, I thought, effects, because. I guess with a sunrise or with silver, the reaction is the same to a vampire body. Disintegration. Kind of glowing orange like cigarette or fire pit embers, and then a blow-up disintegration. Ashes. Again, a kablooey. Yeah. The, the line that comes around here is the, the spirits of the twelve will awaken La Magra, the blood god. And there comes a point where twelve of this cabinet, I'm going to say, because they're all suit and tie kind of business men. Unless there are a couple of women I think I missed. Okay. We're going to form a circle, get electrocuted in an unnatural, supernatural kind of way to, uh, to bring about La Magra that we're going, to, we're going to find out. And how it's been told, Whistler's telling Blade that he is the chosen one. And right away I go with the Matrix. The Chosen One. And I go with Chosen One. The key. The key, even. Yeah. And and how Blade's vials of that bluish you know, liquid injection actually blows up. I mean, inflates, blows up kind of thing. And it ain't pretty. The uh, ninjas in their, in their fight sequence. Do you believe... His name is Eric. Yes, we hear his name. Blade, Blade's first name is Eric. Is there a more boring, uh, anticlimactic kind of name than that? I don't know. For that character, it's I just... I don't know. I wanted his name to actually just be Blade, because there are people named Blade. Maybe now, because of the movie, I, I well, don't even know. Even years before, there was a kid named Blade. Maybe in the West or something, I don't know. Maybe. Had to do with the father's profession, maybe livelihood, I don't know. But it's just such a weenie boy name. <laughs> Eric. There are others. Eric. If I knew an Eric, so help me. The joke is we both know someone named Eric. And this several is an inside joke. Eric, so, yeah. All with the same spelling. No, Nobody's got an Eric as a, with a K at the end of it. I know an Eric with a K. A Viking, perhaps. Possibly. Yeah. He was Blade. We, fi- <laughs> we find out that Frost 
is the man who bit his mother, who we see so you almost, in her youth. So what you're saying is we got to see some frostbite. Oh, yes, we did. Hey. That's, that's, that's cold, man. That is cold. Ice cold. In the temple of eternal night. I guess you could say I'm an ice hole. You said it, not me. Hey. Uh, through Blade getting captured, Quinn is uh, thanking Blade for the shades that he's now wearing, but he gets them back. Can you blame him? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funky that, that Blade gets encased, not in a carbonite kind of way, but into this device where it looks like uh, something has slit his wrist. He's he's bleeding, and it's kind of like going through a maze, the, bl- the blood that's coming down, to feed into the 12 that are going to be in this circle and cause the coming of La Magra until our female lead helps get him out of there. And she who had been bitten herself, still has her neck wounds, gives and says, take some of my blood to help him get back because he is without his serum to curb the thirst. The only thing that could possibly help and stop his bleeding, Blade's bleeding, is him taking Blade's some blood. bloody bleeding. And that's what, that's it. Love lies bleeding. Elton John, funeral for a friend. Part two. Well, the second half. Twelve minutes. <laughs> Thereabouts. Just about. Is that one of those bathroom songs that when you're a DJ and you need it to go used to the to bathroom? Be. I think for some, not for me. I only needed six. <laughs> <laughs> a little that was, TMI, that Eddie, was, A little TMI. No, those, that was the longest longest one on, on file that we would have, I think, actually. Like the Eagles' Lion Eyes. Now you know. There, I said it. Lion Eyes is a pooping song? Uh, could be. Or if the bathroom's at the other end of the building. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't go wrong with Bohemian Raps Pudi. Eh, that, that was awful. But yes, that's what a toilet sounds like flushing, Eddie. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Oh, the next thing that was kind of interesting, how the, these 12, after they get zapped, come out of their skin husks, let's say, and turn into these skeletal winged bats. And that wasn't such bad um, CGI effects either. Um, it's yeah, slightly good. Yeah, it slightly took me back to the 1980, was a 1981 Clash of the Titans. But it wasn't that, um, you know, old or early in its techno infancy and whatnot. But the way they just started coming out of their, their skin for just a split second reminded me of that. I can see that. We did. And it was good. And then we get to the Frost Blade sword fest, sword fight. Um, Frost is cut in two, and there's a, there's a uh, I want to say an extension of his body because the top half of his body comes up, but there's a uh, a connecting bloodstream, and it doesn't work that he's he's cut in two because he's now gaining some more powers. But then uh, he gets hit with the serum that Blade had worn a packet around his his arm, essentially, to, to help himself. But instead, Blade throws him at and into Frost, and he kind of gets all juiced up. And there's your kablooey, for sure, of Frost. And it, it's, once again, you thought the bloodbath in the beginning was a lot of blood. Oh, yeah. Although, when the blood splashes and you see Blade look on, none of the blood touches him. <laughs> so I, I, he had his blood shield up he must I, the platelets were good, good I count. hate being that guy who's just like yeah well you guys in that scene he was there was supposed to be blood on that body but there's no blood what's going on guys what's going on well they made up they, they didn't make up for it but they had already done that effect in you know Ghostbusters when, when also, they, you they know all that, blew up and they all got slimed they all got marshmallow all over them plain and simple you know the actual answer that they say on The Simpsons, and it goes with this. Editing. A wizard did it. A wizard did it. Okay. So, blame the wizard. Yeah, not that man behind the curtain. No, not at all. So the lady doctor there, Karen, says she's going to keep working on a cure. To which Blade says, cure? Make me I a love Robert serum. Smith. <laughs> yeah, make me a better serum. Which essentially ends the movie, but it perpetuates a little more by going to Moscow where it's snowing and there's a vampire attack. Uh, and Blade is there to continue the fight and roll the credits. And I got to tell you, this movie was definitely ahead of its time. 
I would say I definitely liked it. Yeah. But it's nothing mind-blowing, especially, you know, in regards to actual heads blowing up. Yeah, like this movie blowing, yeah. certainly had happened a number of times. Eddie, you go ahead and yeah. tell me what you think of this movie. I used to be a 1980s in that decade horror film person. So I would have watched up till that point all the Friday the 13th movies. The Halloween movies pretty much perpetuated throughout. So I was into it then. This is a different type of horror movie. If you can call you can call it a horror movie. Why not? It's I vampires so. automatically call, falls into that. If you had to categorize it right at the start at the start, there there it is. There were things different about it. Having matured in the types of movies that I prefer to see now, movies today, the thing that changed for me would have been the ring with the technique, the camera technique that was used with that, not stop motion, but... When you watch that, kind of on topic, but not really, when you watched The Ring for the first time, did you find it scary? In a shock surprise way, when that when that uh, I'm calling it stop motion, but I think it's it's not that it's an accelerated motion, where you're seeing the girl coming out of the well, heading towards the TV, and all of a sudden, right in your face, kind of thing. Truth be told, and I'm not trying to be that guy where I'm like, look how cool I am or whatever. That movie didn't scare me, and I don't know why it scares everyone else. Like I get the psychological aspect of that, but. Yeah, middle school me when I watched them, like, no. Then you're you're able to dismiss that, and I guess that's that could be a good thing in your defense. But between well, that movie and which I didn't see also, but a com- the commercial was enough, the trailer was enough for the Halle Berry movie, The Grudge. Those two couple of movies, I think, ushered in that technique, which I think was uh, kickstarted in uh, Japan. That uh, that type of filmmaking technique. So what's been done has changed, has evolved in the making of a horror film. With this, you've got the horror, you've got the blood, uh, the the special effects, the CG stuff, a little bit different than what maybe you'd seen before. So I'm at least on middle ground with, with this. I don't know how much more interested in it I would have been if I didn't know, really, uh, hindsight, that it was based on a Marvel comic character. Hindsight being Eddie Eddie. Yeah, Eddie Eddie, that's exactly right. So, you know, I fall sort of on middle ground with with this. But we'll, you know, go through, see how this turns out, evolves, and how we incorporate it into more than just the comic book being limited to a Dracula-only thing. This is vampires in general. No mention at all whatsoever of Dracula. They're a part of, like it even said, the vampire nation. There's a whole, quote-unquote, race of people like this. The vampire people. Correct. They bite. Oh, they absolutely do. They suck. So, Eddie, let's get into wrapping this episode up and talk about what we thought of the movie. Overall, I liked what I saw, but it wasn't mind-blowing like I said it was. I enjoyed what I saw... I will admit that, but it was good. It's it's very hard to express how I feel about this movie. But, yeah, just... The, I will admit there were quite a few times I'm watching this movie just, like, doing other things, trying to figure out, you know, okay, cool, that's going on. But I wasn't that blown away by this. I saw how... They established and made Wesley Snipes a badass character with some funny moments, phrases, saying. So that's the typical he Hollywood has movie. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And ice skating uphill. Yeah. And a couple of little one-liners that escape me now that, that uh, he might have used when he was dispatching, I'm going to say, a, a vampire. Or not. Just shooting. And that's it. Um, excessive use of any particular language that came into play here, for sure. Like what language, Eddie? All the F-bombs and, and 
In the interest and of the, fairness, even, even the MFs that were in there. This is an R-rated movie, so so there you go. That's a given. Yeah, so that's going to be just a natural part of it. And yeah, to me, that means just using it excessively to the point where it's just another word in the English language. But it held up to it to accompany the the action, the severity of what was happening. So watchable, definitely holds up over time, pretty much. Yeah. Like I said, though, I'm not really blown away by the movie, but I liked it. And if I had to give this movie a rating, I always say that at the end of every review. If I had to. Yeah, you do. Had to. I let that go all the time. I know. What's wrong with me? Three and a quarter out of five. Okay. That's better than your two and a half, I suppose, if it was right down the middle. Uh, It's got elements of it that make me appreciate what they're going for with the this. The double-edged silver S-shaped blade, yes. Yeah. I Like I said, I liked it. Would I rewatch it again? Yeah. Yeah, why not? To quote the guys from We Hate Movies, this is a good hangover movie. Literally just, you know... It sounded like it's a good-for-you multitasking movie. Yeah. If we're being honest, it's kind of one of those. Yourself? That is me. Myself. Me, myself, and I. That's a Reen. What? Reen. Reen? Irene. Oh. You lose? Irene. Okay, very good. Next. Watchable, yes. Adult for for gosh arnest darn sure. No question about it. And uh, of course I'm gonna be more forgiving than, than Peter. So uh three and three quarters. So now before we go, let's tell the people at home, home what they are to watch for next episode. Eddie? Well, we're going to watch Blade 2. From 2002, directed by Academy Award winner Guillermo del Toro, and also features Norman Reedus. So, before we go... Norman! Go to facebook.com slash... The Marvelous. Give us a like on there. Go on the Twitter machine at... Marvelous. Give us a follow on there. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. And Eddie doesn't want any of your Twitter chicanery. Give us a follow collectively at The Marvelists or at... Oh, you mean for me? Yeah, I like when you say it. Oh, goody. Eddie, 9193. I meant at The Marvelous, Eddie. <laughs> at The Marvelous. There we go. Well, you got you to do it with your oomph. At the marvelous. There we go. <laughs> you can also follow myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick, and also drop us a line in our email bag, the marvelous at gmail dot com. You can also leave us questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We'll read them. We'll take them. We'll enjoy them. We'll love them. Not necessarily in that order. We or, might or we might take at the them, same love time them, and respond. Yeah, we don't know. We haven't gotten them yet. Tale as old as this, time. This would, jeez. Oh, and also go on stitcher.com slash premium. Use that promo code at checkout. Marvelous. And sign up for a free one month of Stitcher Premium, free. where you'll be able to listen to for free crap ton of content, including the Smodcast archives, the Earwolf archives, the WTF archives, Red Eye Yankovic's concerts from his most recent tour, and Wolverine. A long night. Stitcher.com slash premium. Promo code at checkout. Marvelous. Marvelous. There we go. I'm expanding. And you can also cancel at any time. But if you don't want to cancel, it's only $4.99 a month. And when you do use that promo code, it helps out this show. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.